0: Is an Odyssey original.
1: This is KNX in Depth. I'm Rob Archer. And I'm
2: Charles Feldman. Are President Biden and former President Trump all that different, at least when it comes to handling potentially classified documents? Maybe not so much. Attorney General Merrick Garland appointing a special counsel to look into the documents found at President Biden's home in Delaware and at a former office. We'll go in depth into how these two separate cases may be very much connected. And we will also hear from two California congressmen,
1: one a Democrat, the other a a Republican. Some doctors say Moderna and government officials were not exactly up front about the company's updated COVID vaccine. Those doctors are quite upset about it. We'll go in depth into what they weren't told. If you get a fancy new job title at work, you may want to pay closer attention to your paycheck. And we'll explain why. We start, though, with
2: President Biden and those classified documents. Gregory Wallace is a former federal prosecutor in the Carter and Reagan administrations. He was a member of the APSCAM prosecution team that convicted a U.S. senator and six representatives of bribery. Gregory, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. Well, uh, it does seem, at least on the surface, and I get you know, the White House is saying that, well, what's different between... Mr. Biden and Mr. Trump, is that when these documents were discovered in the possession of Mr. Biden, you know, he did the right thing and notified all the, the, the uh, uh, essential parties. But the fact remains that he still had possession of these documents. It turns out in at least three places we know about, including his home. So it does seem, at least on the surface, like there's some comparison that's valid between his situation and Mr. Trump's, or, or I am I wrong about that?
3: Well, I think the question is whether the commonality in the two cases outweighs the distinctions. And the distinctions are very significant. But right now, I think the commonality creates an additional complicating factor, potentially a very significant one, for the investigation of former President Trump's possession of classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. It was already a fraught investigation in the sense that At the end of the investigation, we could see a Department of Justice and a Democratic administration bring criminal charges against a former president who may be the Democratic president's opponent in 2024. And so the the potential for perception, at the very least, of of lack of partiality, of unfairness, of a politicized uh, investigation and charging decision was there. In spades. But now that we've learned that President Biden, to a degree, was also involved in the mishandling of classified documents, as you described it, makes the potential for the appearance of unfairness and partiality even greater if former President Trump is charged and he isn't.
1: I want to take the politics out of this for just a second and grant the benefit of the doubt to both uh Mr. Trump and Mr. Biden and say that these documents were inadvertently included in in documents they took with them when they left office in Mr. Biden's case when he uh left the vice president's office and Mr. Trump's case when he left the uh, oval office and uh doesn't this point to some problems with the way that classified documents are handled regardless of which party or which person might be directly responsible, don't we need to take a look at and investigate why is it so easy for documents to kind of waft their ways into filing cabinets where they're not supposed to be after someone leaves office?
3: I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, it's it's something to see two presidents advised, a former president to a president, advised by all kinds of experts and classification end up in the situation. Now, whether whether it was deliberate or not on the part of President former President Trump is still invest a question under investigation, and that has to be the same question in any investigation of, of President Biden. But that also brings us to the differences between the two, because it does matter that President Trump, former President Trump, did not disclose that he had these documents in his possession. It was only the National Archives realizing it was missing documents from his administration that brought this to his attention. And then he grudgingly, and that's a charitable way to describe his resistance to producing the documents, uh, produced documents, then represented that he produced through his agents or attorneys, then represented that he produced all the documents. And in fact, that was a false representation because he hadn't.
2: Yeah, but but let me but, but let me President, interject. But, but, no, but, but, but let me let me make this point, President though, Gregory. Biden. But let me, let me interrupt on, the, on one, this this one key point though. Uh, in the case of Mr. Biden, the White House knew about the discovery of the documents, at least in the office of the think tank he was associated with. We don't know yet when they learned about the documents in his Maryland home. But they knew about this as far back as November. And the only reason why we all know about it now is because a news organization, I believe it was CBS Network News, broke the story. Otherwise, perhaps we wouldn't even be having this discussion.
3: No, but that's that's not an accurate comparison. They knew about it in November, but they didn't keep it to themselves. They disclosed it to the Department of Justice, or perhaps it was the National Archives. And then invest, the FBI began an investigation, according to the timeline I'm seeing. Then the investigation began, and it only came out recently in the public domain. But that's a far cry from what President, former President Trump did, which was not to disclose it, even though the documents seemed to be the impression you get is they were all over his office and uh, apartments and so on at Mar-a-Lago, and, and then when the National Archives asked for them back and he had ever opportunity to say, this was a mistake. I don't want these documents. Here they are. He didn't do that. And in fact, what he, what he did was fight it. And and uh, to
1: and to your point and to Charles' point, uh, uh, some more similarities in that we, for many months, we didn't know that there was a document brouhaha going on between uh, Mr. Trump and the uh, National Archives. And as I understand the timeline of Mr. Biden's case, uh, on November second, when this first batch of documents uh, were uh, discovered, uh, the White House lawyer was immediately called, who then immediately called yeah. the National Archives. They got the documents the next day. In this uh, second batch of documents. I think the, the line went directly to the Department of Justice and didn't go through the National Law Crides first. Is that correct?
3: I, I think I've seen that. I mean, these early chronologies sometimes get revised a bit, but that's the impression I have. And so th- there's an undeniable difference. And the difference matters in terms of uh, both, I think, your perception of their behavior as good citizens, is good presidential or former presidential citizens. And there's a world of difference. And it could matter tremendously because if, if, and I want to stress the word if, if there was obstruction of justice by President, former President Trump, not clear there will be, but that does seem to be a focus. uh, That, that could justify charges against Trump, but not against Biden. But what I want to stress is that the revelation regarding the Biden documents puts real stress on the Department of Justice, the special counsel, ultimately Attorney General Merrick Garland, if they want to bring charges against Trump but not Biden to demonstrate there is a clear and convincing difference between the two All right. that justifies charges in one case and not the other. Right. And so that is the complicating factor. Okay, in the but, investigation.
1: I'm going to have to cut so you off there. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, Gregory Wallace, former federal prosecutor in the Carter and Reagan administrations.
2: Right now, though, let's get back to President Biden and those uh, classified documents, potentially anyway. With us now is Democratic Congressman from Riverside, Mark DeCano. Congressman, thanks for being with us. So, uh,. Our last guest that we had on, a former prosecutor, federal prosecutor, pointed out that while there are certainly similarities between Mr. Trump and Mr. Biden in that both of them had uh, apparently classified documents that they shouldn't have had in their possession, that there were also stark uh, differences, he pointed out, in how both uh, gentlemen handled the situation once these documents were were discovered i uh, is that a sentiment that you agree with
4: yeah i i do agree with that um it was you know on on the surface it does appear that uh when uh documents were discovered that uh by by uh biden's uh team or whoever it was that discovered these that they uh that they voluntarily said that they had them, and they turned them over to the National Archive and uh, and made it known. Uh, It was a long, drawn-out process, beginning with uh, President Trump's departure from the White House, uh, that the National Archives uh, struggled to get documents that uh, Donald Trump did have. And the Justice Department uh, initiated was turned over to the Justice Department, and the president defied no subpoenas or request from the justice Department. okay but, but, but
2: let's now move uh, from the the legal differences and similarities to what the political issues might be. Uh, mr. Biden earlier on uh, condemned uh, you know chastised former president Trump. I think he said, I don't want to use the wrong word, but I think he said something to the effect that he was irresponsible for having possession of these classified documents. Well, doesn't that bounce now right back at mr. Biden?
4: Uh, well, it is a serious thing that, uh, it is serious that documents, classified documents, uh, uh, were, uh, at, uh, the, uh, the foundation in, in Washington. And I think there are other documents that were found, uh, in, uh, the president's Rehoboth home. Uh, we need to know more about um, how those documents got there. And of course, my, I have heard that the attorney general has appointed a special prosecutor, which is appropriate.
1: A special uh, counsel,
4: yes. Uh, the special counsel, not special prosecutor, a special counsel. Uh, thank you for correcting me. Um, the the process should be followed, and uh, this I, I think what this also points to is I think the premature and hot headed way in which uh, a select committee by the House of Representatives has been. Constituted in response to what they call the weaponization of the government. And, and I think they're referring to the way uh, Republicans, the Republicans are referring to the way in which they feel aggrieved and the way in which uh, the, the uh, search at Mar-a-Lago and the pursuit of classified documents uh, by the FBI and later the Justice Department was done. Uh, and they're implying that uh, this was an overreach of government, which is, which is, I think, way, way out of line.
1: Well, well, as, as you know, as someone who works uh, inside government, you know that when it comes to politics, there is absolutely no shortage of hypocrisy. As a matter of fact, hypocrisy is the gasoline that drives the uh, political car. But uh, leaving all that aside, uh, uh, one of your colleagues, uh, Mr. Jim Jordan, said that uh, you know these first batch of documents were found on, I believe, they said uh, November 2nd, days before uh, the election. Why did the Department of Justice say nothing about this uh, in the run-up to the election. Uh, would you answer that question?
4: Well, I, I'm not sure that the Justice Department. I mean, I, I'm not clear whether the Justice Department knew about it um, and when the Justice Department was told. Um, and, and so, there, there needs—you know—this is a this development is fairly recent, and I think in due course uh, these questions do need to be asked, uh, and there there needs to be accountability. Uh, and justice uh and former justice and current attorney general Merrick garland uh i think is uh showing uh, his independence uh and doing what uh an independent attorney general should do uh which is be even handed fair but uh, but
2: but here but congressman here's the situation that the country finds itself in now, which—and uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think I am. I think it's an unprecedented one, where we have a presidential election coming up in 2024. Mr. Trump is already a declared candidate. He's under investigation. Mr. Biden has given every indication that he is likely to run again, and he is now under investigation. What does that say to the American public? What does that say to voters who already have a pretty dim view of government that that the potentially two major candidates for the presidency are both being investigated?
4: Well, again, we have to uh, I think we have to further see what this investigation yields. It's premature to rush to judgment on uh, what is going on with uh, President Biden. Uh, and I think it's important to draw distinctions. Uh, and there are distinctions here. Uh, I, I think it's far from clear that there's anything willfully, uh, illegal about what the President does, willfully defiant of the law, whether he was, uh, careless or criminal. I think it's very clear that Donald Trump is more, uh, implicated in criminality. And we can look at, uh, what is going on with with uh, president biden is a, a level of carelessness not criminality that's a huge distinction um and furthermore uh i there i have very big questions about whether donald trump uh, qualifies uh under uh the constitution under the 14th amendment and following uh whether somebody who's implicated in uh the uh Obstruction and and the interference of the peaceful transition of power, uh, being part of uh, some organized effort uh, to undermine our democracy, uh, whether whether constitutionally uh, he is qualified to actually be a candidate.
1: All right, thank you, uh, Democratic Congressman from Riverside, uh, Mark Ticano. With us now is Republican Congressman Doug LaMalfa, who represents the northeastern region of California. Thank you so much for uh, taking time to join us today. So your take on this scandal, I think we have, at the risk of belaboring the point, uh, talked about the similarities uh, between uh, uh, Mr. Biden and Mr. Trump when it comes to these documents and the differences. Uh, What do you make of, I'm going to ask you as a Republican, what do you make of the differences? Do you you acknowledge or do you believe that there are differences in the way that Mr. Trump has responded to the situation and the way that Mr. Biden has?
5: Well, I think uh, the the gravity of it partly lies in, our, as a, does a president have the executive privilege to take these documents you know, or any documents and utilize them the way Trump did versus a price, vice president? Does a vice president have the authority to do that? I think that's one of the key underlying questions here and so uh that's what needs to be sorted out so i see that uh the attorney general has gone ahead and appointed a special counsel to it which is good i commend that action being taken uh, forthrightly here and just get to the bottom of it so um if um if there's not an issue then it goes on by but uh i i'm my i'm curious mostly is is it appropriate for the vice president to have uh taken these documents and done what have you with it. And then how good was the security of them? How how well were they kept uh, maintained? You know, I think some of them were in the Penn Biden Center, I guess, under lock and key, but I wonder more about the ones in the garage next to the Corvette,
2: you know. So so let me ask you the same question I asked in our last segment. You are a Democratic colleague from California, which is that we have a presidential election coming up 2024. Mr. Trump is a declared candidate already. It looks like Mr. Biden intends to be. And both of these gentlemen now under investigation. I, I can't think of any other time in recent American history, maybe in all of American history, when that's been the case. Uh, what do you make of that? And what do you say to an already very cynical and skeptical public?
5: Uh, I think the most important thing is that uh, everybody is al- is allowed due process and should have due process on an investigation like uh, whether whether it's the nature of the one on Trump or Biden or, or anybody else for that matter. And uh, so f- find out what what actually is the issue. What what are the documents? Are they indeed secure, secret, whatever, and um, and sort it out from there. If did they acted properly or improperly, I think again, you know, a president has greater executive power and authority to do these things. A vice president does not, so that could be the one of the major differences in the two. Um, the uh, how well were they kept under lock and key, you know, Mar-a-Lago versus a garage next to the Corvette or at the Penn Biden Center. You know these are things that need to be ongoing, so I think we're probably maybe a little early to get too worked up over you know what should be done without having all the answers to the questions and i'm I'm usually I usually like to go that route let's go through the due process on that before you hang somebody so right. to speak over over that
1: so. yeah. I I wanted to ask ask, you. Does that
5: answer your question? Is that kind of what you are looking
1: for? I I think that goes in the direction of it. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I wanted to ask you though, as a member of Congress, and uh, we spoke to one of your uh, Democratic colleagues before. Do you think Congress would be able to take the politics out of this uh, once we get past this fever, uh, this initial fever, and say, you know, maybe we, as both uh, Republicans and Democrats, need to take a look at uh, what can we do to make sure these documents they seem to fall through cracks and wind up in filing cabinets and wind up in places where they're not supposed to be, and it seems to happen too easily. Uh, what can Congress do to maybe clamp down on that? Maybe what, uh, what laws or changes do you think should be made to make sure that any president or vice president of any party uh, might wind up having these documents when they move out of their offices?
5: Well, I think, I think you hit it on there, of, of any party. It shouldn't matter. We should, if the rules, if the laws are not clear enough on what you're supposed to do, as a as a president or former president you know with with these executive um, authorities then we need to redefine it we need to narrow that it looks like to me no matter if it's biden or trump and maybe that's the beauty of this thing is that uh, both of them now have an investigated issue here both of them are allowed due process to uh find out what actually happened instead of you know surmising under a political filter, you know, right. so, so I'm, I'm so about having a fair, a so, fair look at it. right? But, you know, so, so,
2: but we've gotten to the point, though, Congressman, this goes to the what I was saying uh, earlier, we've gotten to the point where where people can actually take solace in the fact that at least it's a bipartisan <laughs> yeah. type of thing, and both both yeah. the Republican yeah. and the Democrat <laughs> are both being investigated. Do
1: a better job of filing your paperwork for crying out loud! Yeah. All right, yeah, thank every, you so much.
5: Everybody's in trouble, but yeah, let's <laughs> yeah. let's look at. I think we should be looking at legislation to clarify and narrow that, so we don't have this problem. We don't have to worry about a security issue, and uh, the the outcome of this investigation or what might happen with the Mar-a-Lago one. You know, I I, I think the I think there was uh certainly not equity in how the two were handled as far as, you know, the the uh break in at Mar a Lago versus this here. You know, is Biden complying, is he turning the stuff in? It appears so. But let's well, it'd be really nice if I if I happen to be on one of the committees that's uh you know having a congressional hearing on this, I'm gonna just look at what are the facts and forget the partisan part and see what went wrong, what's right, and how do we make it better in the future legislatively. Well,
1: good luck on the nonpartisan part of that. (laughs) Uh, Republican Congressman Doug LaMalfa, thank you for joining us. You're listening to KNX In-Depth. Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman. Some vaccine advisors to the federal government say they are angry The Moderna and government scientists did not present infection data on Moderna's new COVID vo- booster shot during meetings last year when the advisors talked about whether the shot should be approved. Yeah, they're upset
2: because the data suggested that the new booster might not be more effective at preventing COVID than the original shot. Dr. William Schaffner is a professor of preventative medicine and infectious diseases at Vanderbilt University School of Medicine. He's also a non-voting member of the CDC's advisory committee and is a friend of the show. Doctor, welcome back.
0: Good to be with you, guys.
2: So uh, as I understand it and what I've read, uh, I think our, our lead-in to you is, is pretty on, on target that you've got this advisory committee, right, that, that it's supposed to be independent, lets the FDA and CDC know whether they think, you know, yes or no on a new vaccine, And in this case, they feel, or some of them feel, the members of the committee, that they didn't get a lot of the info they should have had. Is that pretty much it?
0: Well, it's not a lot of the information. Let's put it into perspective. It was a side aspect of a study. It was not the main study. It was a small amount of very preliminary data. Even so, many of us were surprised that the data were not presented at the time to both the Food and Drug Administration and the CDC's advisory committee. And uh, I don't think that it would have changed anybody's vote. It might have prolonged the discussion a little bit, but uh, all's well that ends well. It's clear that the data are now coming in to clearly indicate that uh, the bivalent booster is continuing to provide Protection against hospitalization, protection against severe disease. But we trust this won't happen again.
1: I wanted to ask you because my first batch of shots all were were all Pfizer, and I think the first uh, first set of boosters were Pfizer. And then when I got the the last booster, the updated one, I did get the Moderna shot. So hearing this news about Moderna, should I be? Uh, I, I should not be tearing my hair out and and uh, and curl up into a, a ball in fear and anxiety, right? I should be no. okay
0: yeah you should be okay. That's yeah. correct. as a matter of fact, what you've done is mix and match. you started with one finished with the other, and that in some studies shows actually that you get a little bit of enhanced protection
2: but here but here's the problem as I see it with this whole thing doctor and 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 yeah, it was a small study, and the facts uh, were not all that germane to the final determination about whether or not the the boosters ought to be made available to the public. But the problem is, and you know this, it's been a problem throughout this pandemic, is that there is, at least in a a segment of our population, deep skepticism about uh, health officials, deep skepticism about uh, medicines, about vaccines. And when this sort of news comes out, I the layperson is is prone to sort of sit back and say, "Uh aha, we thought that there was something that they didn't tell us about these
0: vaccines. And sure enough, we were right. You know, I agree completely. And that's why I was both surprised and very disappointed when, as it turned out, the this small amount of information was not presented. I think this is an anomaly. And uh, there's been so much concern about this that I trust the people who run both the Food and Drug Administration's committee as well as the CDC's committee won't do that again. It's really, to my long association with the CDC committee, I I couldn't think of a precedent for that. So it seems to have been an anomaly. But let let me
2: suggest one possibility. Uh, Could it be that Moderna, you know, it it is a business. People like to think of medicine as being pure, but it is a business at the end of the day. Could it just be that Moderna, aware of the fact that this data, small though it may be, still indicated that perhaps their booster wasn't quite as powerful as the public was being led to believe, just didn't want to share that information because maybe it would have led to a thumbs down on a product that they were making billions of dollars
0: off of? Well, certainly that's the point of view that increases the skepticism. And that's why this was not a good idea on either Moderna's part or the people who were organizing the presentations to the committee. And that's why any number of us are fussing about it, because it fuels that kind of skepticism and mistrust. And we... We're working hard to try to restore trust in public health recommendations.
1: All right. Thank you so much for joining us today. Vanderbilt University uh, School of Medicine there, uh, Dr. William Shaffer, professor, and joining us, giving us this information on these uh, vaccines.
2: Okay, let's say your boss calls you into the office, right? Calls you in, tells you they're giving you a fancy new job title. Mm. That might sound like a a really good thing like a great sign that the company is thinking
1: big things for your future or or it might be a way to dodge paying you overtime oh no new finding <laughs> imagine a imagine company that yeah. trying to figure out a way to not pay you wow yeah Hard Weird. to
2: believe. Okay.
1: <laughs> New findings from the National Bureau of Economic Re- Not a problem that we have here, by the way. Uh, National Bureau of Economic Research shows companies avoided uh, paying about $4 billion in overtime wages by coming up with basically bogus job titles. With us now is Sandy Rappaport, employment attorney with Hanson Bridget in the Bay Area. Thank you so much for joining us. So explain to us uh, how how does that process work where they, they don't pay you what they owe you by giving you a job title? How does that work out?
6: Well, I, I don't think that there's any way that an employer can really not pay somebody what they're owed based on their job title alone. The law says that there are certain jobs that are exempt from overtime, managerial type jobs, uh, executive type jobs. and But the law says that those jobs, um, they have to have a certain Uh, category of duties. There has to be, the employee has to perform them for the majority of their time, actual managerial duties. If if it's a manager position, it doesn't really matter what the title is if the employee isn't actually performing those duties. So if an employer is promoting somebody to a manager job and that person is now making the the required salary that uh, is needed to satisfy what's called the exemption from overtime requirements, and they're performing for the majority of their time, uh, these exempt type duties, then they are properly not getting paid overtime.
2: So how often do companies try to pull a fast one?
6: Well, in my experience that I'm not seeing that happening uh, very often. employers generally are promoting employees to manager jobs when they really are giving them the responsibilities of being a manager uh, of course, I mean this study says otherwise this study says across the country that um that there have been employers who are kind of coming up with manager titles just to try to avoid the overtime, but no court or administrative agency will uh, back that. If you're talking under federal law, it's the Department of Labor, if you're talking here in California, we've got a parallel state agency that looks at these things. And uh, the, those agencies go right to what were the duties that the employee was required to perform? Are they spending their, the majority of their time performing exempt duties? Okay. If not, the title means nothing.
1: All right. So, if someone's paranoid and uh, they think, you know what, I think my company did that to me, what are the warning signs to watch out for?
6: Well, it's what is the employee doing? So, if somebody is given a title of manager and they're not managing anything, they're just, uh, you know, still working on, say, an assembly line or something like that, and they're they're not they're not managing anything. Uh, that would be a sign that they're not. Properly classified, and they would be entitled to overtime as opposed to uh, just getting a salary with no overtime. Uh, so it's really what are, you, what are they spending their time doing? And there's a minimum salary that is required also to be exempt from overtime. And under federal law, that salary is $684 a week. But here in California, you have to make uh, almost $65,000 a year uh, in order to qualify for an exemption from overtime. So if an employee is making less than that and they're not performing uh, duties that are sort of comparable with the title they've been given, they're not classified properly.
2: Okay. So let's say an employee thinks that they have been kind of you know, hoodwinked. What do they do? Is it smart to have a chat with their employer, but they may be afraid if they do that, they'll be fired. What do they do?
6: Well, that's right. I mean they 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 should be able to talk with their employer about whether they could still remain an hourly employee uh, who's who's uh, entitled to overtime when they work overtime hours. Uh, they could they could go to the various uh, state agencies or the Department of Labor under federal law uh to uh file a complaint that so those are those are avenues that they have to uh to make a change uh, interestingly i i found that there there are often employer employees I, I, my clients seem to have the opposite experience where they are uh keeping employees as non-exempt who actually say no i want to be i want to be exempt i'm a professional i'm a high-level employee uh, and they they would prefer to be uh, on a salary as opposed to overtime. So it's it's interesting. You could you can get employees going either way on that.
1: All right. Uh, thank you so much, Sandy Rappaport, employment attorney with uh, Hanson Bridget in the Bay Area. Uh, I am uh, your senior Star Wars correspondent, uh, Rob Archer, along with our senior corresponding correspondent. <laughs>
2: We're going to owe royalties to the producers of Star Trek, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <It's>
1: like... <laughs> That's it for today's KX In Depth, and we will do this again tomorrow at 1 o'clock, so join us then.